Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Whiskey Wednesdays, a Fools and Flagons show where I, the DM, review and discuss various topics regarding D&D, as suggested by you and the lovely people in our Discord. I am totally prepared and not stalling for time as I post the link to the Discord in the stream chat. There we go. Uh, oh I know. Whiskey Wednesdays will be available the Wednesday after the live stream on our YouTube channel and in podcast form on iTunes, Spotify, and many other mainstream podcast services. We do have a calendar so that you can keep track of when we're going to be going live and what we're doing. It can be found down below. Uh, donations are never required, but always appreciated. If you'd like to support us, please consider our coffee page. All proceeds from donations and memberships go straight back into making Fools and Flagons an even better experience, and it helps keep the podcast alive and well. With tacos and fajitas. Yes, we feed the podcast tacos and fajitas. <laughs> now can it. Confirmed by DM. <clears throat> Insert sarcasm here. So, today's main topic uh, is going to be going over everything on a character sheet. What you're looking at, what to look for when the DM tells you something, uh, the math that's involved so that you can kind of understand why the numbers are what they are. And as we're going along, the second topic, Zahn scenarios. If anyone thinks of a scenario that you want Zach to try to get his character through so he can test his bullshitting skills, uh, just whip him out and we'll divert momentarily. So, uh, Isa, first question I have for you. Is there anything that you can think of that was specifically confusing to you about your character sheet to make sure that I'm actually going to be covering that? Um, the only thing that actually confused me was uh, how y'all handled crits, but that's about it. Okay. Uh, so crits, so far that I've heard, there's like three or four ways to do it. The two popular ones are when you roll a natural 20 on an attack, uh, one of the main ways is you doubled the rolled result of your damage dice. So if you have an attack that deals 2d6 damage and you roll a natural 20, uh, you roll the 2d6 and whatever that number becomes, you double it. The other popular option is to double the rolled dice. Same scenario. Let's say that you're a warrior or uh, like a barbarian. You got a plus 5 to strength. Normally, your damage dealt would be 2d6 plus 5, which is the 2d6 of the weapon plus your strength modifier, which is plus 5. <clears throat> and the scenario of this particular type of critting, you would go from 2d6 to 4d6, but you would still only add the plus 5 once. Now, the way that we do it, and I believe that this was Martyr that introduced me to this method because... The problem with those other two methods is that there is still a chance that you could roll the minimal amount of damage. So let's say that you're in the middle of this massive boss fight, you got like a teammate down, the cleric's running over trying to pick him up, and then you, you land a crit, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna kill him! But you roll two ones. So you're now dealing four damage. Versus the potential of rolling a twelve and doing 24 damage. It's just, it's that kick in the balls that you had this unique moment of a crit and you do four damage. It, it sucks. It's not fun. So the way that he explained it 
is if we're doing that same scenario, 2d6 plus 5, you roll a natural 20, like, fuck yeah, I'm going to beat the snot out of this guy. You roll your 2d6 and add your 5. Uh, you know what? Let me just do that real quick for the sake of clarity. So, perfect. I rolled two ones. Fucking story of my life. That's only going to be seven damage. However, it's a crit. The way that Martyr explained it to me is that you roll the dice and get your, your value. So seven is what we've got at the moment. But you add maximum damage to that. So the maximum damage of 2d6 plus five that's 12 plus 5, that's 17. So, 17 plus 7, your original rolled number is 24. You're now dealing 24 damage. So, with that method, you're at least guaranteed to have an epic moment of damage dealt. Okay. It's a little bit easier in practice, like once you kind of get your hands on the dice. Um, yeah, it, it's maximum damage plus roll damage is the easiest way to explain it. Mm -hmm. Which is unfortunately how I basically one-shot Kasumi two sessions ago because I rolled a crit and ended up dealing like 50 damage. But, you know... That fear of landing, of me as a DM landing a crit and going off of what just happened. Like, I just rolled two ones on a two D6s. That's far less of an impactful moment because of my shitty rolls. So instead of doing just seven damage, it's like, oh, well, that crit wasn't shit. It's like, oh, fuck, he crit. That's, that's no bueno. So... That's what that was all about. <clears throat> all right. So, just gonna scooch on in since you guys are just a real talkative bunch tonight. Sorry, I'm trying to think. No, it's all good. I was taking a drink and just realized, like, wow, I'm even making fun of you guys and you don't even want to say anything. So, uh, we're basically going to start... Uh, from the top and work our way to the bottom. I actually meant to... Um, where is... I didn't save it. Oh, there it is. Or not. Ah, I see what happened here. Uh, there we go. Nope. Go... To, uh, yep. Absolute bastard. There we go. Cool. Sorry, I'm pulling up uh, a character sheet to have on the screen. So people watching the VOD might be able to at least somewhat keep up with what the hell I'm talking about here. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, we're going to start from the top and work our way to the bottom. So uh, initially, we're looking at your ability scores. Strength, Dexterity, Constitution, Intelligence, Wisdom, and Charisma. These ability scores essentially dictate the rest of the character sheet. So, starting off with uh, the first bit, the modifiers. What the fuck are they? 
every two points you have in a skill increases or decreases the modifier, which is the plus five, plus two, plus three that you're seeing on the screen there. It even goes into the negatives. So 10 is essentially zero. You have no modifier, you're just bog standard, you're not great, you're not bad. Once you go to eight, six, four, and two, you get a negative one, negative two, negative three, negative four. Uh, if you get to a zero at any point in any of your ability scores, you're essentially considered dead. And there are creatures out there that can reduce your ability score, so be wary of that. If you are playing a character with like negative two intelligence and you get hit by something, it doesn't matter how much health you have, you're just gone. Um, conversely, if you go to 12 in an ability score, you get a plus one modifier. 14 is plus two, 16 is plus three, 18 is plus four, and 20 is plus five. You were never able to go higher than 20, as far as being a character is concerned. Um, it's just for balancing purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, moving on down my notes. So, uh, in the grant, if you're at like a 16 modifier, you've got a plus three. If you go to 17, you're still a plus three. It's not until you get to 18 that you get to be a plus four. So, scooching on a little bit further to the right, we come to look at the proficiency bonus. This little guy right nya, that says plus three. There is absolutely nothing you can do to influence this other than leveling up. When you start a character at level one, everyone has a plus two to their proficiency bonus. What you are proficient in, you can change and tweak to some extent as you level up and you start uh, gaining more and more levels. So you get plus two from levels one to four. You get a plus three from five to eight. You get a plus four from levels nine to 12. A plus five from levels 13 to 16. And a plus six from level 17 to 20. So, proficiency. What the fuck does that mean? Your character, depending on your race and your class, is going to inherently be good at something. In Issa's example, she's a rogue. Generally, rogues are proficient in sleight of hand, stealth, and deception. Those kind of things. So, whenever I tell Issa to make a... Um, let's just use my character Boar here for the moment. If I say make a sleight of hand check... You would come down to sleight of hand. Um, all of your abilities are based off of your initial ability scores and whether or not you're proficient in them. So for Isa, I believe your dexterity was pretty high. I think you had like a plus three or a plus four to it. So you would roll a d20. You would add four to that number that you rolled. And since you are proficient, you would add your proficiency bonus. So theoretically, you'd be adding seven to whatever you rolled. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Uh, this proficiency bonus works for damn near everything. Abilities, weapons, tools. Um, yeah, it, it, it's brain hurt. I kind of skipped ahead on my notes and I'm kind of backpedaling here. Uh, there are times when you are capable of getting what's called expertise in a skill. 
which is basically, if you see on the screen or if you're watching on the stream or whatnot, you've got these little black dots beside them. The regular black dot means that you have proficiency. If you have a black dot and like a, a dotted circle around it, that means you have expertise. It is adding your proficiency bonus twice. So at level seven, if I had expertise, I would technically have plus six to whatever that role would be before adding my ability scores and all. It's not terribly common to have expertise, but it is very possible. Uh, next up, we've got walking. That's essentially how much, how far you can move in a six-second round of combat. Uh, these, this movement every five feet is considered a space on the board. So with Boar's walking speed of forty feet, he can basically move eight squares. Uh, most people find it's just easier to go five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and count that way but if your brain is really good at quick maths then you can just say oh 40 feet I can move eight squares total in this round ah so anything confusing so far really okay good we've only just gotten started give it a minute <laughs> Next up on the character sheet, we have Inspiration, which currently for Boar is blank. Generally, Inspiration is the Bard's realm. Um, <clears throat> a Bard is able to, as a bonus action, uh, give anyone in their party Inspiration. In later levels, they are able to give themselves Inspiration, but that's uh, a different uh, topic. So when they first get Bardic Inspiration, they start with a D6 then they can get up to a D8, D10, D12. What this means is, let's say, so actually, perfect example, Isa, when we were playing, Nim was uh, Le Bouf. He had Bardic Inspiration. Let's say that, you know, he saw you were going up to the door to pick the lock, and he pulls out one of his multitudes of instruments and plays you a little ditty. And you're like, oh, hell yeah, this is my fucking jam. You're now inspired. Whenever you roll an ability check, which is basically anything involving a d20, it could be an attack, a spell, uh, a dexterity check, a dexterity save, whatever. If you're rolling a d20, you can add bardic inspiration to it. The key there is that when you roll the d20, you have to decide yourself whether or not you want to add the inspiration to it. So, for example, if you rolled a d20 and you gave me the result and I said, ooh, sorry, that wasn't enough, you were not able to go, oh, let me add inspiration. It's like, no, you have to roll the d20 go, that's kind of low. I'm going to roll inspiration and add that onto it. And then you tell me the result. Okay. Um, the other possible way to get inspiration, and this is, this is all table-based, uh, the DM, if they are nice, which I've been meaning to kind of consider this, but I keep forgetting. Sometimes the DM will award inspiration dice if you do something that is like really, really in character, is like really inspiring, uh, or really for whatever reason the DM could possibly think of. Let's say that you're about to fight the big bad, and you've gathered all your allies, and this character gives a like a really moving speech, like in character, and it's like just fucking nails it. It's like fuck it, everybody gets like one d six inspiration. 
And I believe inspiration lasts until a short rest is taken, at the very least. I don't believe that there's a other time limit to it. I'd have to check on that. It's been a minute since I've really looked. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's extra points to add onto your D20 to make sure that you succeed. Who dares tag me? Oh, someone's ranting at me. Uh, oh, Becca, yeah. it's, o- it's okay, Becca. Uh, it's fucking whiskey wins, motherfucking dick sucker. Fuck shit. <laughs> All the bitches <laughs> and their side hoes. Damn it. <laughs> it's okay, Becca. You're here in spirit. I can feel the rage. It's just, it's palpable. <laughs> uh, so next up we have initiative. The initiative bonus is, uh, or sorry, the initiative is what you add to a d20 roll when you are starting combat. It's basically saying how fast are you, how quick are you on the draw to get to react first. Depending on what your class is, you don't always necessarily want to have a high initiative. Generally speaking, for a, uh, a cleric, it's almost more ideal for you to go last because you're... Okay, Zana, not including Zahn. Um, mm-hmm. You're a very reactive kind of class. You want to heal. If you have the first turn and there's no one to heal and like no one's really engaged to really be like, okay, well, that guy seems really strong. I'm putting, gonna put Guiding Bolt on him because you haven't had the chance to test the waters or anything. You may want to go a little bit later. Um, so the way that an initiative is calculated is you start with 10 and you add your dexterity bonus. So in Boar's case, he should have a um Wait, I fucked this up here somehow. Oh, okay, I see. So the initiative is calculated with 10 plus your dex score, which would get him to a 12, which would be a, uh, a plus two modifier kind of deal. Um, however, Boar is also a barbarian or a, a, a bard. He's a barbarian. So he has a feature called Jack of all trades. What Jack of all trades does is anything that you are not proficient in, you get half proficiency. So in his case, that's what all those little half bubbles are in his ability score there. Um, it's half your proficiency score rounded down. So he gets an extra plus one. That's why his initiative is plus three. It's it's really fucking stupid. But basically, whatever your dex modifier is, is what your uh, initiative bonus is going to be. It's kind of the long and short of it. I made that really fucking complicated. But anyway, that's what initiative is. It's your turn in combat. Um, armor class is kind of next up here. This one gets a little bit complicated, so buckle up, buckle up, buttercup. Without armor or a shield, your character's AC equals 10 plus your dex modifier. So, again, in Boar's case, he should have an AC of 12, but there's a lot more going on here. If your character wears armor, carries a shield, or both, calculate your AC using the rules provided by them. Uh, by the item or via the equipment section of the player's handbook. Using Boar as an example again, he wears half plate, which brings his AC to 15 
but you also add his dex, which is plus 2, so his AC is now 17. On the flip side, Boar is also a Barbarian, and they have a very special trait to them where if they do not wear armor, they would add their dexterity and their constitution to their... Um, that would make up their AC, their armor class. So in this particular case, with it being a plus two and a plus three, his AC would only be 15. Not super ideal, especially considering that the half plate gives him a 17 uh, overall. However, the half plate gives him disadvantage on stealth because it's very big, very bulky, very noisy. The barbarian feature allows dex and constitution to be added as well as still being able to wear a shield which a shield gives you plus two so theoretically boar could have 17 ac and not have disadvantage at stealth however his weapon of choice is a two-handed weapon the shield takes up one of your arms so therefore he would not be able to use his two-handed weapon which does more damage so it's a bit of a balancing act of deciding, do you want uh, to be able to be sneaky, or do you want to use two hands? Have I lost you yet, Isa? Not yet. Good. Kind of proud of you, actually. <laughs> uh, so, uh, scooching on a little bit further to the right, we have uh, defenses and conditions. This is where any resistances, uh, immunities, or conditions are tracked. Uh, having resistance to a type of damage will automatically reduce the damage received by half. So, on his, he has resistance to lightning. I don't remember why that is. Storm Aura. Okay. So, basically, any lightning damage that Boar would receive is automatically taken down by half. So, if 16 damage is dealt, he only takes 8 damage. Um... That is added on to, if he's being attacked by a lightning damaging ability, and it requires, let's say, a dex save. Uh, Boar, being a barbarian, if he is raging, he has advantage on dex saves. So, nine times out of ten, he's probably going to succeed on the dex save. So, with that, the lightning damage would be halved, because he passed his dex save, but his resistances halves it further. So, in that same instance of 16 lightning damage, passes his deck save, he's taking 8 lightning damage. But because of his resistances, he's now only taking 4. Immunity is immunity. You basically just negate any damage dealt of that type that you are immune to. Um, and conditions... Conditions is a nice place to keep track of what's on you. Like, currently for him, he's got exhaustion level 2. I don't remember why because I haven't actually touched this character in like three years. But you are able to click on those conditions and see what the hell they mean. You should be able to. Yeah, so the sidebar pops up, and you can come down, you can look. Uh, second level exhaustion, he has disadvantage on ability checks, and his speed is halved. Uh, you can also add any conditions you currently have, blinded, charmed, what have you. You can drop these down and see exactly what it is. D&D Beyond, by the way, is great. They make everything so fucking user-friendly. Pretty much anything you can click on will pull up information about it. It's amazing. Use D&D Beyond. Definitely. Especially if you're a soft brain like us. Like me. 
Ah, first drink of whiskey. Oh, that's a good bottle. I got a new bottle of small batch Teelings. I just opened it tonight. That's a good, oh, that's smooth. That one burns. All right. So we're going to scooch on to the left side of the character page again, over here to saving throws. Uh, the saving throws are, they're influenced by your ability scores and your current proficiency bonus, if you have proficiency in any of these. Uh, definitely keep an eye down below if you're using D&D Beyond, because it will let you know if you have advantage or disadvantage on any rolls due to your race, class, or anything like that. If uh, one of these has a black dot filled uh, filled in beside it, that means your proficiency bonus is added to it. So, if you're looking at Boar here, he is a barbarian. He gets advantage on dex saving throws against effects that he can see, while so long as he is not blinded, deafened, or incapacitated. So whenever I say, Isa, make a wisdom saving throw, this is the box you go and look at. If we're using Boar as an example, He's kind of dumb as a rock. His wisdom is fucking negative two. So I roll a d20 and I subtract two from it. Now, if I were to say, make a strength saving throw, let's say that he got shot in the chest with a cannonball or something, and I needed to see whether or not he was going to be able to hold out and not get knocked down. He is proficient in strength. So with his strength already being a plus five up here, proficiency, you add the plus three, get you eight. Simple math. The nice thing about D&D Beyond is it does all the math for you, so you really don't have to use much of your brain power. But if you're doing this pen and paper, that's how the math works. Below that, we have your senses. Uh, these are your passive senses. So it's I need to actually personally be a lot better about this instead of making you guys roll every single time you say something, especially if your passive senses are high enough to allow for you to just notice shit. Um, I definitely need to be better about that. But the way that this is calculated is it is 10 plus your modifier plus proficiency if available. So, for example, um, Boar's perception down here, he's proficient in it, but uh, his wisdom is negative 2. So adding the proficiency plus 3 gets me to 1 which is why his passive perception is 11. Because you start with 10, and you add those other two modifiers to it, you get 11. That's also why his passive investigation and insight are 9. Because <laughs> um, he is not... Uh, let me see, investigation. Yeah, he has a negative 1. So he has half proficiency because of jack-of-all-trades, which adds a plus 1 to his negative 2, because his intelligence is, you know... He's about as dumb as dirt, but dumb. yeah, he's he's pretty fucking dumb. I actually really hated playing Boar to an extent because I am not dumb, and I hated watching my party members miss shit. And it's like I understand it, but Boar doesn't, so I have to shut up. Mm. Uh, moving further down, on the left we have your proficiencies and languages. This is kind of just a little list for yourself to see what you are proficient in. D and D Beyond is going to calculate these to begin with. So, for example, on Boar, martial weapons he's proficient in. That means that... Martial weapons essentially means that you can use any weapon. Any melee-type weapon. Bows, crossbows, uh, guns, swords, knives, all that sort of shit. You would add your proficiency bonus to those attack rolls. 
uh, your languages. It's common, giant, orc. Uh, got prof- he has proficiency with uh, with a lute instrument. So if I ever said, hey, make a performance check for your lute, um, even if he didn't have proficiency in performance, because he has proficiency with the lute, they could technically add their proficiency to that role. Now, if he, if I, he were to say, like, I'm going to play a piano, and he wasn't uh, proficient in performance, then I would say, make a performance check. You don't get to add your proficiency because you're not proficient in it. So that's what that is down there. It also determines what kind of armor you can use or can't use. How you doing, Nisa? Have I melted your brain yet? I'm hanging in there. Okay, cool. We're getting there. Give me a minute. We haven't gotten to the action page yet. Um, in the dead middle of the screen, you've got your skills. This is whenever I say make a persuasion check, make a survival check, stealth check, whatever. This is where you look. Thankfully, it's all alphabetical. So you're not hunting around looking for whatever the hell it is you're trying to find. Just, you know, A, B, or actually A, D, H, I, M, N, P, R, S. That's it. It's not even the whole fucking alphabet. Um, again, these are all directly influenced by your ability scores and your proficiency bonuses. So Boar being proficient in athletics because of being a barbarian. Yeah, it's a plus five and the plus three because of his proficiency bonus giving him a plus eight. If it were expertise, then he would get to add six to that, which would get him, uh, what's that, plus 11? If math do good, I think that's right. That is 11, yep. So that's what that is, and that's how that math is done. Cool. Now we get to the hard part. This jumble of information on the right side is more or less where the other 50% of the character sheet is. Ah, Get another sip of whiskey to get this party rolling. So we're going to start with actions because that's generally where you're going to be sitting for the most part. Um, Here is a list of available actions your character may take as part of their race and class. Uh, D&D Beyond does all the math and provides an easy-to-read option for what to add to your roles. In general, this this first part is going to be where your kind of combat stuff happens. It's your attacks, your bonus actions, your reactions. Um, For example, uh, Boar has his Flame Tongue Greatsword. You can see that it has a range of five feet and the hit DC is plus nine. What this math is, is the Flame Tongue Greatsword is a magic weapon. It's a plus one magic weapon. So the math involved here is plus one to start with. It is a strength based weapon. So we add the plus five from his strength modifier. That gets us to six. He is proficient in martial weapons, which means that we add his proficiency bonus. And that's how we get to nine. The damage afterwards, the greatsword does 2d6 damage. And like I was saying before, the plus five is based off of his strength modifier. It is a strength-based weapon, so it's just a a free five extra damage. This sword also has a special ability found here in the notes that says that it is a plus... 
2d6 fire damage while the weapon is on fire. So, so long as Boar takes the time to use the bonus action to say the weapon's uh, uh, command word, it sets on fire and he's doing 2d6 plus 5 slashing damage. That's what this little sword swishing symbol means. And then 2d6 fire damage on top of that. Show. Let's see, lost my place, lost my place. Oh, uh, I should mention that it is really important when you have a weapon like this that does multiple types of damage to make sure that you separate those for the DM. The reason being is let's say that you were fighting some creature and you roll 2d6 plus 5 and then you roll 2d6 for your flame damage and you just say he takes, I don't know, 12 damage. Okay. What you may not know is that that creature is resistant to slashing damage, so that 12 goes down to 6. But if that creature is resistant to slashing but weak to fire, let's say you only dealt 6 damage with the slashing damage. Okay, oh no, he only takes 3 damage, but you deal 6 damage of fire. If they are vulnerable to fire, that fire damage is now 12, because it's doubling the damage that it receives from that type of attack. So in this case, you would roll the slashing damage first and say that is slashing damage and whatever the fire damage would be so that the DM knows how to divvy up the pain. All good? I think so. You think so? Something confusing you? No, I'm just trying to absorb the knowledge. Fair enough. Absorb. It is a lot. Amy Sponge. <laughs> <laughs> A dry sponge. <laughs> uh, so the other really kind of cool thing about this is you can definitely scroll down and see everything you have access to, starting with your actions, bonus actions, reactions. You can filter these up at the top. So if if you know at the start of your turn in combat, you're like, I'm going to shoot this guy with my bow after moving and hiding and whatever, and I say, okay, that's your movement and your action. Do you have any bonus actions? And you go, uh, uh, well, instead of scrolling down your mountain of text, you can just click bonus action and filter out. And like, these are all of your bonus action abilities right here. So you've got your attacks, your actions, bonus actions, reactions, other, uh, and limited use. So there's that bardic inspiration. Oh, it lasts for 10 minutes. Look at that. I found it. I did my found research. It. I was prepared. Uh, so, to kind of cover over combat here super quick, every round from the first person's turn to the last person's turn is considered to take six seconds, which is why you are limited in what you are able to do. You have your movement, which you can use, you can sprinkle your movement in as much as you want. You can say at the start of your turn, you're going to move two squares, which is 10 feet. Use your action. Then move six of your squares or four of your squares. In Boar's case, four of his squares. And then use a bonus action. And then use the last two squares of his movement. However you want to sprinkle it in there, you can. But everyone gets an action and a bonus action on their turn. And then for each full complete round... You have one reaction. Depending on your class and your race, your reactions could be 
vastly different. In Boar's case, let's see, does he have any reactions? He has one spell, Featherfall, that he can cast as a reaction. And he has Opportunity of Attack. Pretty much everyone has Opportunity Attacks. Which is basically, if you were in base-to-base -base contact and you're meleeing someone, and that person decides to fuck off, you basically get to swing at them for free. Now, if you use your reaction, you do not get that reaction until you take your turn again. So if it was just your turn, and on the, the next one to go after you is the enemy, and you use your opportunity attack, that's it. You don't get another reaction until your turn comes back around. So if you are a wizard, and as a reaction you were to use shield to protect yourself from potentially getting hit, and you're like, ha-ha, fuck you! And then that guy basically says, all right, fine. I'm going to hit that guy with like a level 9 fireball. And you go, ooh, I should have saved counterspell. Tough shit. Use your reaction. So, don't be afraid to use your reactions. Just know that, you know, there is kind of a time and a place for it, depending on uh, what your role in the party would be. Yeah. Uh, well, so speaking of the turn-based thing, sometimes during combat, the situation isn't quite ideal to perform your action. You may choose to hold an attack or a spell. If you want to do this, you take your turn as normal, you can move, you can use a bonus action, but then you would have to provide the DM with a trigger saying, I want to hold my attack, like I want to hold my melee, I want to hold a bow attack for this reason. Let's say that you uh, were in difficult terrain and you weren't able to move quite as far as you wanted. Like, well, I'm not really within range to hit anything or I'm not quite in line of sight. I'm going to hold my action until something gets within my line of sight. If a creature gets within your line of sight, you say, boom, I'm triggering my held action. I'm going to shoot that fucker. And then it is resolved then and there. As a spellcaster, you are able to do this with a spell. However, there is a caveat to spellcasting. If you give that same sort of scenario, you can't quite see, I'm going to wait until I can see something to cast this spell. If nothing triggers that spell, when it comes to the start of your next turn, that spell is still considered to have been used, and you lose that spell slot. So... Just be careful and be sure to word your trigger in such a way that you are less likely to waste a spell slot. Mm -hmm. Speaking of spells, that is the next the the next part of this particular section. Uh, you use an action to cast a spell. There is a casting time. You have a range. You have hit DC. Uh, there are the effects, which is basically the type of damage that is dealt, and then you have notes for the spell. So, the casting time, if you see 1A, that means it's one action. Use a whole action to cast it. If it's 1BA, that is a bonus action. Use your bonus action to cast it, and you can still technically run up and melee somebody with your action. 1R is a reaction. Uh, 1M is one minute, or like 1HR I think is like one hour. I think there are, are even spells that take like eight hours to cast. Or more, even. 
So that can be very influential to uh, how you may choose to use something. So if something takes like a minute to cast, that's not really something you want to use in combat because a minute of combat is 10 full rounds and you would have to concentrate. So anytime you get hit, you had a chance of uh, losing concentration and having to start over. Gross. It's not great. Um, so the range, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. It determines how far the spell may reach. If, uh, in, in some of the cases, you can select a target that is within range, or you can choose a spot within range for the spell to be centered around. So, for example, um, let's look at Boar here. What has he got? Not much. All right, he's got Fear. That's self-range. He can basically only cast it on himself. Uh, it's a 30-foot cone, so centered on him, a 30-foot cone in whichever way he wants to face is where that gets uh, cast. There is touch, which basically means Boar has to huff and puff over to Issa to poke her on the arm and say, ha, you're invisible now. Or you've got levitate, which is 60 feet. You can pick a target within 60 feet. If you're using something like fireball, uh, I don't have it up at the moment, so I'm just going to use 60 feet as the base. Anywhere within 60 feet of you, you say, this is where the spell is going to be centered, and anything within 20 feet of that, or 30, or whatever the hell it is, because my alcohol brain can't remember it right now, uh, are the ones that need to take that uh, dexterity save to try to avoid it. So the good thing about that, especially in the sense of fireball, is instead of saying, like, Issa's going to target that guy and cast fireball on him, that may put party members at risk if they're within, like, the 20, 30 feet that it is. But you get to pick any spot in 60 feet of you. So instead of centering it on that douchebag, you could technically center it further away so that within the range of it, it's only encompassing him. The hit slash DC is where you determine how the damage hits the target. Some spells will work exactly like melee weapons or ranged weapons, requiring the player to roll to see if it hits. Uh, you can consult the top of this uh, section to see what your spell attack modifier is. That's this little guy right here. It says spell attack, it's plus five. The spell attack modifier is your spell casting modifier plus proficiency. So as a bard, my spell casting or boar's spell casting modifier is charisma. So that's plus two. And then my proficiency is three. So plus five. Uh, let's see. Da -da 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 -da. Skipping ahead. Made a lot of notes that aren't fucking required. Uh, there are spells that require the enemy to make a save, such as Polymorph requires a wisdom save. The DC for that, or DC stands for difficulty class, uh, it's calculated as follows. You have 8 plus your spellcasting modifier, which for Boar would be 2, so we're already looking at 10, so far so good. Then you add your proficiency, which is plus 3, so the DC would be 13. 
which is exactly what it is right there. Spell save of uh, 13. So anything that requires any sort of reaction on the enemy's part, they'd have to roll a 13 or better to shrug off the effect or negate some of it. You doing all right there, Isa? You ready for the test? There's a test. There will be a test. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, you're so screwed. I am screwed. <laughs> the good news is that's the end of the hard part. Moving on from here, we've got inventory. This section is very straightforward. This is where you can see whether or not you are encumbered, how much you are carrying, how much money you have. Uh, you have all of your equipment, and there are these little checkboxes that you can click to say that this is currently equipped on my person. And as soon as you do, it will appear in the actions page if it is a uh, weapon of some sort. If it is armor, as we can see right now, the armor class is 17. If I take off the half plate, D&D Beyond automatically uh, calculates the armor class for boar which since he is no longer wearing armor, it is adding his constitution and dexterity, giving him 15. And you can also see once I click it on and off, the disadvantage appears and disappears from stealth. Mm -hmm. Scrolling a wee bit further down, the backpack is a new thing. Um, I'm not 100% sure how that really affects anything as far as your carry weight or whatever, but I don't... Pfft, fuck it, I don't know. Uh, down here at the very bottom... We have attunement. Uh, certain items require attunement, and you can only have three attuned items at a time. These are considered very highly magical items and are generally kind of rare. So anything that you have that is able to be attuned will appear down here on the right. It's a very simple matter. You just click the little box and it should appear on the right saying that you are attuned to this, this, this. Uh, generally speaking, it takes an hour to attune to something, be it uh, inspecting it, attaching it to yourself, meditating to learn its properties. If you do not have a party member that can identify something or you are not able to find a magic user to identify something for you, you can technically learn the properties of the weapon by attuning to it. There is a bit of a danger in doing so as some magical items can be cursed. The curses don't generally show up until you are attuned to it or you cast identify on an object. In the previous scenario, even if you do attune to it and you become cursed, it's generally good practice to pretend that your character doesn't understand the curse. They are merely affected by it. So with that being said, is if his greatsword was cursed for whatever reason, we were unable to identify it and he just attuned to it. like, cool, I got an awesome flaming sword. But now he is a bit of a pyromaniac or like an arsonist. Like he just wants to burn shit. He doesn't really think about it. He's just like, that's a nice thatch roof. And this is a nice torch. And then you just do it. You wouldn't... It's... What's the word I'm looking for? It's... it's. My brain is fucking failing me. Bah. 
it's a bit of a faux pas to attune to something, discover the curse, and go, hey guys, this thing is cursed. We should probably try to get rid of this before I do something bad. Like, that's... That's kind of horseshit. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Yeah, no. That's no fun. Now, if you cast Identify, and you see it from there, and then you go, oh, fuck, we gotta get this uncursed, because the rest of it, awesome. But that bit, not so good. Uh, great example, Kirsten's uh, Kleptosaber rapier thing. Uh, they were able to identify it and see that it did have a curse on it. And I forget if they got the merchant to do it. I, th- I think maybe Zahn uncursed it. Yeah. I think Zahn did. But or essentially, both. the curse of that weapon was literally anytime you see something shiny, you have to steal it. You are compulsed to make it enter your pockets. Which would have been fucking hilarious. Yeah. But they were smart. Shockingly. I know. Brick identified it, saw, hey, this ain't, this no bueno. And they got rid of it. So good for them. Uh, last but not least on the inventory page, at least as far as D&D Beyond is concerned, there is a section called Other Possessions. There will be times when you get something that is not technically an item that D&D Beyond has available to add to your inventory, like a, a, a basilisk gland or a cyclops eye. But damn it, you beat that fucker and you're taking his fucking eye or you're taking his big toe down there you can click on it and you can add whatever notes you want it's a very nice very easy way to keep track of extra shit that's just off the wall like you, you know you go to a tavern you say hey i won that arm wrestling match on that stool i'm taking that stool as a souvenir there's no fucking option for a stool in the manage inventory of D beyond so you go into other possessions you write i took that fucking stool here you go yep that was not a hint or a suggestion. That is just an example. I do that often. <laughs> uh, next up, we have features and traits. This is... It's not totally used like during gameplay. It, it has a more expanded version of your character's class uh, abilities and your racial abilities. It, it goes a little bit more in depth about things. Um, you are able to click in here and you can like for Boar's example, he's a barbarian. You can keep track of your rage usage in here if you want, but it is also available in actions. That's just actions is kind of like a, a bit more of a catch all. But you can technically look in your features and traits to find what it is. And the cool thing is that it even tells you, like, unarmored defense. While not wearing armor, your AC equals 10, plus dex, plus constitution, plus any shield. And you can see it is in page 48 of the player handbook. It's just, it's a really, really helpful feature for you to learn more about your character and try to remember what the fuck is going on. And I think, actually... Nim, we had to use uh, this a little bit. So way down at the bottom, you've got your feats. Um, When you level up, 
there are certain milestones where you get to choose whether you take an ability score improvement or if you get a feat. Uh, a feat is a special sort of skill, and I believe the one you had was Sharpshooter? That is correct. For, wait, for Pez or John? Pe for Pez. Yeah. So, when Nim playing as Pez was initially uh, more Ranger than he was Artificer, we kind of backed off on that because of reasons I'm not going to get into at the moment, um, he was able to take the Sharpshooter feat, which is not available for every single class. Uh, there are prerequisites for it. I think you have to be like a certain level or whatnot. Uh, but he had that feat as the ranger. And when he swapped to being more of an artificer and we got into combat, he said, oh, well, I don't have disadvantage on long range. And I said, really? Why? He's like, well, because of this feat. At least I'm pretty sure it's this feat. So that triggered me to go, well, let me check to make sure because I don't want to lie to you and have you using a thing and have the internet blow up on you. And as we go and look, we realize, oh, that feat's no longer there because he swapped to Artificer and therefore uh, somewhat uh, brain to mouth is really hurting right now. He forsook Boy, myself. He forsook that particular feat. Uh, now with that being said, if he chose to, he could go and give himself an ability score improvement, which again, if we're here looking at Boar, his wisdom is a seven. If there were no more feats that I really wanted to take, I could take an ability score improvement and put it into wisdom, which would make that an eight, which would make his wisdom negative one instead of negative two. I absolutely would not have done that. I would have put it into constitution because more health for boar is good, but that is an option. And there are a, there are so many feats like just an absurd amount. I, I couldn't I couldn't even begin to tell you half of what they did. Another time. Yeah, that's that's like another three sessions. There's so many. Uh, so with that being said, we're just gonna scooch on over to the description. Um, description is a really nice place to keep track of uh, information about your character, especially if you're one of those people that's like got 19 plus characters. I got if Martin were in here, he'd probably just put us to shame with how many characters he has created. Uh, but it has your alignment, your faith, if you have any, hair color, gender, eyes, skin, your size, your age, your height, your weight. Uh, the only things in here that I th think you would really make use of in a normal session. Height, weight, and your alignment. Your alignment, as we've discussed in a previous Whiskey Wednesdays, is basically how your character interacts with the world, whether they're like gonna stick their foot out to trip a kid when crutches, or if he's going to help that kid cross the street. That's what your alignment does. Your height and your weight are kind of role play, but also kind of potential like combat scenario influencers. Mm -hmm. So as an example, if you are uh, riding a horse or something, let's say that your halfling party member has a pony. Well, your halfling party member is only like three foot five and he doesn't weigh that much. Boar is six foot 11 and weighs 244 pounds. He is not riding that pony. 
So in that instance, your height and weight are very much a factor. Plus that 244 pounds is added onto the 180 pounds that he's carrying in his rucksack. So what, 400 pounds almost? Big boy. He big, he big dude. <laughs> That's he actually over 400 sure. pounds. But that can sometimes be something to consider. Um, moving on to notes. Notes is just notes. It's a handy place to try to attempt to keep track of some stuff. Personally, when I'm taking notes, I do it by hand in a journal. It's just quicker. Especially if the DM is uh, saying something out loud instead of tabbing over the window and clicking on the thing and then clicking on the notes and then going down and making sure that you're typing in the right area. And then at that point, you've already missed half of what he's saying. Whereas if you've got a pen in your hand, you can just scribble down and add it in later. But on top of that, it is a nice place to keep everything in one spot. Last but not least, we have extras. Uh, extras is essentially where a player can add and keep track of their uh, NPC companions. If you're a wizard and you have Find Familiar, you can put that in here. If you're a ranger, this is where Hamburger would be. This is where Mortar would be for Brick. Uh, you can also keep track of your wild shapes. So a druid, if my memory is not totally whiskied up, can only wild shape into creatures that they have seen, that they are capable of wild shaping into. This is where you could keep track of what you were able to transform into. There is also a section, uh, a spot where you can add a vehicle. So if you bought a cart, uh, okay, Battle balloon, a galley, a keelboat, a longship, a mechanical beholder. That's fucking dope as fuck. It's a huge vehicle. A rowboat, sailing ship, or warship. So apparently you were unable to keep a wagon. For whatever fucking reason. But this is where you keep track of it. Uh, it it's very handy because it kind of gives you a stat block. So let's add that mechanical beholder just for shits and giggles. So here we can see the AC is 18. It has 200 hit points and it has a movement speed of 30 feet. It has uh, space for one crew to pilot it and then room for five passengers. So whenever I say, um, you know, Nim, I need you to make a deck save for hamburger or whatever. He would come over to extras. He would click on hamburger and he's got a full stat sheet here. So in the case of the mechanical beholder, a deck save, you would be adding a plus one to your D20 roll. So that's what Nim is doing every time uh, I ask him to do anything involving hamburger. Yeah. And that pretty much brings us to the end of the character sheet. I hope you all took notes. I didn't really cover health because I kind of felt that that's pretty fucking explanatory. You have temporary hit points. You add it there. It could be ten. Oh, there is actually one thing about temporary hit points I wanted to touch on because I actually had an argument about this with uh, Zach and his brother because they're they're more rule Nazis than I am in the sense that no. that they <laughs> they they try they not not even try they are very good at following the rules to take the most advantage of them which you got to give them props yes. for it. Oh yes. And we had we must have argued this for like a day and a half of if you have if, if let's say Isa gave me temporary hit points. She had some 
potion bottle or she casts a spell gave me 10 temporary hit points. And then Zach's character gave me temporary hit points. Oh, this one. Yeah. yeah. It, it took us a while because it's not it's not really explicitly said. It's kind of hidden and a little bit tucked away. And it's just, it's, it's, also- it's touched on just very, very, very briefly. But they were trying to figure, because I think what you were trying to do was Armor of Agathis and Temporary Life, I believe. Oh, so preface that real fast. The way that we were understanding it and the way that it was, the way that it was written in your rules is, Armor of Agathis gives you temporary health, and as long as you have that temporary health, whenever somebody hits you, you will deal frost damage to them. What we were trying to do was give yourself two armor. So one armor and then another armor stacked on top of it. So Which I believe still... we were trying to use temporary life for that. Yes. So it was... The way that we were trying to figure it out was, well, let's just say Armor of Agathis gives you 10 life. I don't remember how many it gives you, but it gives I think you it was 10 like, bonus I think health. it was like 25 or something. Like it, what, the, what we were discussing was like really fucking good. Yeah. So, hypothetically, let's just say it's giving you 10 for this purpose. Then you have another spell. Whatever other fucking spell you want to call it, don't care. It's hypothetical. You're going to use your Armor of Agathis first, and then on your next turn, you're going to use another temporary life boy thing to increase your temporary health further by, let's just say, another 25. So you effectively have 35 bonus health. The way that it's written, quote-unquote, is as long as you have the Armor of Agathis health, you will deal frost damage. So until the other 25 health points from the other spell that you casted are gone, you will continually deal frost damage to the end, to the other target. I can't remember how many days we were looking this up. It was more it, than one it, day. It was, it was like a day and a half, two days. Like, I was getting mad because I knew that that was not allowed. I just could not find that rule for the life of me. And I finally did. Yes. And it's... I don't remember where the fuck it is, but... But it it supersedes it. One supersedes another. You can't have both. It does. The way that it is worded in the player handbook on page... Blah, 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 blah. Is if you have temporary hit points and someone gives you more temporary hit points... You have to decide, are you keeping the original temporary hit points, or are you taking the new temporary hit points? One will override the other. Period. That being... You cannot stack temporary hit points. Well, that being said, that is also technically up to your DM. Two... Technically, every rule in D&D is up to the DM. That being said, it's also extremely hard to do this. Like... You have to have specific classes with specific spells to have a specific yeah. scenario happen. Like, to do this, you are planning this from the start. This isn't something you can just be like, oh, well, I can totally do this all the time. Yeah, that's no. like, you have to be a warlock. I, I actually, I think only warlocks get armor of Agathis. I may need to check on that because I don't really remember. I, I know for a fact that warlocks can get armor of Agathis. And I think, at the very all least, a cleric can give you temporary life. Yeah, uh and then, like, you could theoretically do uh, Heroes Feast would give you temporary hit points. Uh, yeah, it's... Armor of Agathis is a great spell. If you guys haven't ever really looked at it or used it, like he was saying, it gives you temporary hit points, and every single point of damage that is dealt to you of that temporary hit points is directed as cold damage to your attacker. So if you have 50 temporary hit points because you upcasted armor of agathis if you get dealt 50 hit points 
Whoever hits you with that 50 points of damage is taking 50 points of cold damage. Uh, no. Armor of Agonist deals a stock amount of damage that increases over time. Hold on. I was about to say, double check it. I'm almost positive that's not how it works, even though I wish it was how it works. A protective magical force surrounds you, manifesting as a spectral frost that covers you and your gear. You gain five temporary hit points for the duration. For the duration. If a creature hits you with a melee attack while you have these hit points, the creature takes 5 cold damage. When you cast a spell using a spell slot of 2nd level or higher, both the temporary hit points and the cold damage increase by 5 for each slot. So it's maxed out on how many times you do it. So it's not all... Yeah, I guess technically if you do... Well, no, there's no 10th level spell, is there? No, it's not. So the most you'll ever be able to do is 45. But the way that I'm reading this is that... Yeah, any amount of damage you take, it's basically taking the maximum amount of cold damage. So, so at ninth level, that's what, 45? Yes. So let's say you cast Armor of Agathus at ninth level, you've got 45 temporary hit points. Some dude hits you for like three damage because they were just rolled really shitty. Sucks to suck, you're taking 45 cold damage. But say, because it was the way that we originally worded it. It's like, whatever you deal to them while they have the armor is reflected. I'm like, yeah, then you'd like be able to one-shot most monsters in the game. Well, <laughs> but it would be only the temporary hit points is my no, 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 no. was my initial understanding of it. Yeah. The way that you'd worded it before, what were the I know, way that you worded it the first time is yeah. Which is it's why like, I said oh. my original misunderstanding of the ability. But dragon hits you for 900 damage. Well, dragon's taking 900. Honestly, damage. <laughs> I w- I would say that this this is worse. Like this is worse than my suggestion. Because my suggestion Probably. would be you've got 45 temporary hit points. If he hits you for 13 damage, they're taking 13 damage. If they hit you for like 50 damage, they're still only taking 45 damage because that's all your temporary hit points are. This method right here means no matter how much damage you were dealt, higher or lower than your temporary hit points, they're getting dealt the maximum amount of damage of that spell upcast. That's brutal. <laughs> that is a great spell. Yeah, but, you know, as a warlock, hopefully you're not getting hit. <laughs> True. But as I'm looking at it, it is only available for warlock. And Oath of Conquest, which I think is... What is Oath of Conquest? That's a paladin, right? Possible. And I'm willing, I'm willing to bet money there are probably Google. other ways to get out of other classes, but... It's paladin. Uh-uh. No, because... If huh? Spell scroll. Uh yeah, technically a wizard if they had a spell scroll, they could put it into their book. Uh alrighty, Isa. Has Questions, your brain comments, been concerns? <laughs> I am still here. It's, I'm doing my best. <laughs> uh did did anything go whizzing over your head that you would like further explanation? No, or... I think it just, it'll take time to just, like, really ingrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I will tell you, Issa, that's helped me out a lot while, especially, like, while learning my cleric, is while I have my D&D Beyond page up, like, if I go to it right now, hold on a second. Uh, all right, Issa, you get two seconds to watch a screen real fast. Yes. So, if I go to Zahn, 
And here's my page. All my stats, all of my everything, blah, blah, blah. If I go to, like, my spells, or actually, let's just see on actions. If I go to my actions, it kind of gives you a little bit of a breakdown of everything that you can do, what I've used, like, what abilities I have. The biggest thing that a lot of people forget, including myself, is under your features and traits, you have abilities down here that you may not notice you have while you're using your actions. For example, one of my big ones is Thunderbolt Strike. When you deal lightning damage to a larger or small, a large or smaller creature, you can push it 10 feet away. While I'm on my main page, it says nothing about that. So Not a bit of it's in here. The reasoning behind that particular thing is that that feature is not technically an action. It is not something that your character is actively doing. It just happens. Yeah. I'm saying I, that this is a good page to get used right. to getting on. It, it's more of an overall explanation of why that isn't on the main action page. Because everything in your actions is something that you have to physically think of doing. Now, granted, you do still have to remember that that's a thing and do it. But... So just keep in mind that if you're ever curious about something like, oh, I thought I could do this or, oh, I thought I took something like maybe you take a feat later on or something and you're like, well, I took this, but I don't see it here. Features and traits is probably the biggest page that I go back and forth from, including racials. Like if you take a, a class that has racials, you can only just click racials and it gives you all your racials right there and everything's there. If it's not there, unless it's homebrewed, you don't have it. Mm -hmm. It's a very useful little amount of shit to have in front of you when you're doing everything. I love this page. And and all that math and shit that I was telling you, I don't expect you to ever know that or remember that. Like, I know that it exists and generally what it is, but I don't ever do it. I open up D&D Beyond and Zeke's, or, you know, if I'm playing a game and Zeke says, hey, roll a deception check, I fucking go to my skill page, I see, uh, okay, my deception is plus five. Roll a d20, at five, I got a 15. Or, you know, I'm going to cast Ray of Frost. That's a plus 9 to hit. I rolled a 13, so that's 22. I, I just looked over here at hit DC, added plus 9 to it. But that's just because I'm also a little bit paranoid and I don't trust RNG Jesus in a digital world. So I like to roll physical dice when I'm rolling uh, damage or whatever. So I'm also a fucking tabletop gamer. I like to play tabletop games. I like physical dice. Something about the click clack of the dice dancing across the board just appeals to yeah. us. <laughs> I have a custom, well, I have a custom made dice tray. I love physical mm -hmm. dice. I've always loved dice. Why would I sit here and use it? Digital stuff makes things shiny and cool, but I mean like I don't care about shiny and cool. I want something that's personalized. I like it it feels better. And as far as I'm concerned, you roll better when you feel better. And I feel fucking great all the time. So I roll fucking great. I know it's fucking <laughs> irritating. Could you just have one off day, please? No. <laughs> no, Issa, you want to see the best part if you look on my page? Look at the very bottom result. Uh, if it's on your 4K, it might be a little blurry. Oh, uh... I don't remember how to change it. Oh, wait. Uh, I think it's still... You're still on the page now, right? Yes. There you go. Down at the bottom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's a, it's not a real skill. I just put it in there because it's a fucking meme. Uh, plus eight chance. I have a plus eight chance to roll a natural twenty. It's fucking annoying. Well, the nice thing is too is if you ever come up with like something that's specific, or you talk to your DM and you want like a skill that may not be on there to be more specific, you can always add custom ones on. 
very easy to do, but something you always want to consult your DM before you even consider doing. Yeah, obviously. If your skill lasts for more than four hours, please consult your DM. Yes. There might be a burning tingling sensation. <laughs> <laughs> if you smell toast... Your brain is done. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I haven't really covered that might be useful. can't really think of anything um, I mean truthfully that's why I, that's why I said the notes and fe the features and all that stuff features is just a good tab to get used to being to going mm -hmm. back and forth through and I'm, I'm pretty much always available like if there's ever something that you're testing out on D&D &D Beyond you're just like what the fuck is this and just just let me know I mean it may take me a second to get to it but you know I'm the king of bullshit I'll come up with something mm -hmm. alright uh, well, I'm going to go on and scooch over to our uh, Discord and look at the Whiskey Wednesdays suggestion page, putting that in the stream chat now, uh, and look at uh, one of the few suggestions that we were given for Zach to weasel his way out of. Uh, well, I can actually go here now. Well, Zami said, childhood friendship. And um... go. I can't. This is this borderline spoilers. It's gonna say, does Zon even have childhood friends? Uh, yes, I have a bunch of stuff about that that's kind of in my notes, but it's spoilers. Okay, then yeah. we don't talk about it. So, like, the best thing I'll say with childhood friendship without spoilers is it depends on the situation. Zon is a, as a child, Zon is a prey animal. It's a fucking rabbit. Prey animals in nature tend to be very timid. You could probably use that to make some assumptions, but keep so that in no mind. Friends. Well, friends, but to a degree. No friends. Yeah, it's one of those where it's like there's a lot that I could talk about that. And there's a I have a lot of stuff like backstory for Zon that I'll probably end up going over the DM when we get closer to end up going to Rokusin at some point, but that's something that I've wanted to kind of not go to delve or delve too deep into yet. So I'm sorry, Sammy. Love you to death, but that's something you have to find out as you watch the episodes and it comes out. All right. Well, the next one was supplied by Becca. Uh, Valkyrie shows up to tell him that the lady with all the kids just had triplets and they are all little hybrid bunny babies. She is demanding he collects all the grandchildren, Brick included, and come introduce them to her. So Valkyrie wants you to bring all of your kids. The yeah, metal would man... Valkyrie actually do, would, would Valkyrie actually do that? I, I don't even know. <laughs> that's, I mean, the, that's, that's, that's the scenario that you've been given. Valkyrie wants you to bring Brick and the babies that you sired in... Wait, where was that? Was that River? No, that wasn't River Cross. That was. Was that, that Locust was Harbor? The, it was the blacksmith lady. The no, I, I. Yeah, I just. I don't remember where she. Hold on. I'm pretty sure it's the same place as um, the. Hang on. Guy. I'll find her. Same place as where Brick did his gun thing, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's yeah, like Locust Harbor. <clears throat> I'll find it. But anyway, go. Um, 
It's not Locus Oh, uh, well, I mean, shit. I mean, his mom's a god, so, I mean, one, he's probably not going to disobey her. He is a mama's boy. And a dad's boy. I mean, uh, that's different. That's tough, because realistically, to do that, he's going to have to get to know them first, because to introduce them, he has to... It was them. River Cross, by the way. River Cross, there you go. He uh, has to know them. Also, for the stream, real quick, if the stream suddenly dies, it's because there's another little storm passing through, just as a heads up. I heard that ring. Nice. Um, well, first, uh, Zon's going to have to get to meet his kids, as I just said. So, there's going to have to be a whole backstory about that, of Zon meeting his kids, which is not going to be uh, a pleasant experience, as you can clearly tell with Zon and Brick. That is a very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> well, but on all fairness, he was thrust onto you as your child. These would be your actual kids. Yeah, son. Don't do kids. I'm, uh, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, that it is a technical difference. So, one, Zon would have to get to know his kids, because the last thing Zon's going to end up doing is going to his mom and being like, yeah, here they are, I don't know them. Yep, this one's. Would, uh, to be honest with you, at this point, this one is number one, the... number two, and number three. <laughs> yes. Um. I mean, realistically, Zon in in my head, Zon definitely sleeps around. I guess it's gonna be one of those where like, is Zon able to cross breed? He's the only one of his race, and this hasn't been something I've talked about. Is this something so, I mean, he's like, even attempted? I mean. This is absolutely not a conversation that we've had, so... Yeah, I mean, like, I don't... I mean, in this situation, if he has kids, which I honestly don't think he'd be able to in this world, uh, yeah, it would be one of those where he would meet... He would have to meet his kids, get to know them, so there would have to be, like, a side adventure as they're going to Rokasin about this, uh, where he gets to know his kids. <laughs> Minor detour. Uh, also, I mean, like, I don't even know what his fucking kids would look like. Like... Oh my god, it's a tiefling. They have horns to be a wobbletanger. I was gonna say, didn't Zahn already hook up with the tiefling? Oh yeah, yes. they, they fucked like rabbits. Yeah. Pun absolutely intended. They'd probably look yeah. more like jackalopes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Ja well, it's in yeah, what Warcraft, the fuck did you wobble say? Wobble it's, a, it's a World of Warcraft pet. Wobbletanger. It's a bunny with with big, like, the, the buck teeth are vampire fangs and it's got horns <laughs> and wings. <sighs> My god, you need to see some grass. <laughs> but, yeah, they'd probably be like jackalopes. <clears throat> which kind of cool, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we've covered the fact that they would be covered in fur and have horns. We got that. What would um, the tails be? Probably something akin to the idea that I had for a half, dra half eastern dragon, half and rabbit. It would probably be a long tail with a massive poof fluff on the end of it. So instead of the, the spaded tail of a normal tiefling, a quote-unquote normal tiefling, tiefling, it would have a little at the end? No, no little. It'd be huge. I don't know about that. I think that would be more of a, like, Well, it's a good thing this, between... isn't, this isn't your question, then. <laughs> I'm just putting Let my her... personal Yeah, I want to hear her three cents. Shut up, you fucking no. bunny bitch. I do. I just this. think when it comes to that, that would be kind of like, you know, when you look at different cat breeds breeding, it's kind of sometimes, like, it's a mixed match, so maybe there's a 50% chance it could have a tiefling-looking tail. 
or is 50% chance it could have a little floof. I sure. don't know if in that interaction it would combine the two. That's well, fair. Again, the touch on this is like, we don't know. Thing. It would be interesting. I mean, it could be a roll of the die. It could be uh, honestly, any of the three and roll for all we know, there could be a tiefling that just has like a wicked fucking neck beard. <laughs> True. Or a tiefling with big ass buck teeth. I uh, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, ironically, Zahn doesn't have huge buck teeth, but like uh, I, he I, has them, I mean, he just doesn't show them. I mean. I'm kidding, dude. I mean, I'm gonna bite your fucking ears off, but <laughs> what with your big buck teeth? <laughs> My big stupid teeth. <laughs> um, God, I'm just trying to imagine like. So we know what they. So we kind of have an idea of what they look like. Probably like jackalopes or. Uh, yeah, or tieflings with bunny features, or bunnies with tiefling features. Um. I'm just trying to imagine, like, the the journey between the two points and, like, what would happen. Because, like, realistically, Zahn is fucking Zahn. So, I mean, he's going to instill everything that he would normally do upon his kids. Don't see how that can go wrong in any way, shape, or form. So, on the way back from Rivercross, you stop at Luna Wind to teach him how to set fire to a sheriff's office. And then you leave the country. Yes. Because, you know... It's tradition. tradition! That's gonna become your clan's rite of passage, is to travel down to fucking Lunawin and burn down the sheriff's office. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna fucking hate me. Kill me? No. <laughs> hate me? Yes. <laughs> Who? Um, Amanda? Yep. <laughs> she's gonna hate me. She can't kill me. I won't let it happen. But she's gonna fucking hate me. Probably Barney All of you to town. assume that it wouldn't happen. <clears throat> Listen to your little shit. <laughs> keep, 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 keep being cocky. Keep testing me. No, I wouldn't let it happen because I wouldn't go back. Oh, I see. I okay. would avoid the situation in total. I now understand what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Not in a fight. Like, I knew where you were going with and That's why I'm like, listen to your little shit. That's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. Um... Probably when he gets to Rokasin, he would end up introducing... Well, because his... Zahn's dad and Valkyrie do not live together. Valkyrie's a god that and found Zahn, and Zahn's dad is an ex-military man, or still a military man. I don't know! I haven't been up to Rokasin, so I don't know what the fuck he's doing. Both technically uh, adoptive parents. Yes. So, he'd probably make a pit stop to his dad first. Papa, before. look! I am procreated! And then, um... Yeah, that would be a whole other situation of story that would ensue. Like, that would probably be kids getting to know father, father's stories, father's backstories, uh, lore about that whole situation. How probably you'd find out a little bit more about how they came upon Zahn. Uh, how long does it take tieflings to mature? I don't fucking know. Play a tiefling. <laughs> oh, they mature at the same rate as humans. Huh. Oh, there you go. Well, and there goes then, that plan. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, and then, I mean, shit, then that would just be a, a trick to go see Valkyrie, and I don't know what the fuck would happen with Valkyrie. I literally, like, I have an idea of how Valkyrie would act, but to be completely honest with you, the most interaction I've had with Valkyrie in our games is 
dream talk and a couple sentences. That's about it. You've meditated. You've talked I, to her. I have. But what I mean is, like, I have not spent an extended period of time mm. as me doing it. It's like, lore-wise, yes. But, like, as me, I wouldn't know how I would yeah. handle that situation because I just don't know how Valkyrie would act. I mean, technically speaking, apart from, I think, Coyote, no one's really spent too much time with their deities. I mean, I have. Just, you know. In in the actual, actual game. Yeah. <clears throat> So, and I mean, like, shit, we're in what? We're in, um, the Nightly Kingdoms, and you better bet your ass on ain't gonna go looking for that deity. <laughs> mm. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> totally not making a note to have him come see you instead. Bring it on. <laughs> I welcome the Bring it on! I'm <laughs> <laughs> the god of Nightly Kingdoms. Stupid says what? <laughs> Sod just immediately dies in the first episode when he comes up. <laughs> Smote to death. Well, does anybody else have a scenario they want to give uh, Zach? No? No. Okay. Oh, well. Well, I guess that uh, that's probably just going to wrap us up here. Unless anybody has anything else they want to talk about. Good. All right. That's what I'd say. We've got Pez has spoken. All right. Well, with that being said, thank you all so much for watching. If you haven't already joined the Discord, we're always looking for people to chat with and hang out with and play games with. Not necessarily just D&D. Do a bunch of other shit. Destiny, uh, Fireteam Elite, Minecraft, all sorts of stuff. And if you just want to come in and lurk, comment on a few things, post some funny pictures, that's fine too. You can even pop into voice chat, leave yourself muted, and just listen to us be dumbasses. That is perfectly acceptable. It happens all the time. Yes. So, <clears throat> going to post that link. That link should be down below if you're watching this uh, either on our VOD or in podcast form. There should be a link in the description that will get you to join our Discord. But in any case, uh, yeah, there's no D&D this week because that's next week. But I'm super fucking excited to see how things progress. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any other streams this weekend because my sister's going to be in a town and I'm probably not going to be able to participate in them anyway. So that's kind of going to be up to you guys. But, uh, Nim, Pez Place, still going to be doing Halo? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, if we have more than two people, we will be continuing Halo 3. If not, we'll probably... I think we're pretty close to wrapping Halo 2, aren't we? Mm, we haven't touched the Flood yet. Have we not? I mean, well, we also haven't gone to High Charity. There's still, like, eight missions left. All right, dope. So we got a lot of content left to do. Hell yeah. All right, so look forward to that on Monday. And, uh, yeah, I got nothing else. So, parting thoughts? Oh, that's pretty good. Very informative. It's a massive fucking lore dump. Not even a lore dump. Just an info dump. That's what I'm looking for. I've been drinking. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. Well, good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Whiskey Wednesdays podcast. You can watch the show live on Twitch every other Wednesday. If you'd like to recommend a topic for us to discuss, please join our Discord. 
The links can be found in the description, and we look forward to seeing you soon.